welcome to the show. I am so glad to be back. I want to give big ups to Jessica for holding it down for me on Thursday and Friday. Jessica, I appreciate you so much. You all know that it is Jessica Monday, so she is in the house. You know, Jessica, I was in Chi-Town with Marianne Williamson. We both had a discussion with participating in the Chicago Humanities Festival. It's been going on for 30 years. They travel all over the community with the festival and since the you know, since the pandemic, I mean, still raging, but it's dissipated just a little bit. So they're back in business, traveling around, and it was really nice to be in conversation with Marianne about the midterms, about the future of this country, about what we can do to build coalitions. It was a very, very robust conversation. So thanks to you, I was able to participate in that. I appreciate you so much. I watched the segments. You did that, Jessica. You did. How you feeling? I think you're muted. I was muted through all of that. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to be back in the passenger seat and here with you in person, but I'm glad you're able to go and do that. We had some fun, but it's good to have you back. No, but you really did. Thank you so much. I couldn't have did it, done it without you. Teamwork makes the dream work. So we have an excellent show for you today as we try to make happen every single day. We're gonna start off with Crypto Bowl bites the dust. Watch this. All right, guys. So um, there was a big thing that happened recently in the world of finance and the world of crypto. Um, it involves FTX which is one of these big crypto exchanges, right? Yeah. Um, go ahead, Chris, I'll tell everybody what the deal is with this. Uh, okay, so FTX, which was founded and run by a dude named Sam Bankman-Fried, which is relevant because this was a guy who was throwing his weight around in DC. He was flooding Democratic primaries in particular with money behind his chosen candidates, including, for example, Chantel Brown against Nina Turner. Um, his firm, he has two. He had this crypto exchange, and he also had this uh, sort of like crypto fund that would place all these investment funds that would place all these like big risky bets, okay? Risky and totally went belly up. And there are a lot of people, just innocent people who have lost a lot of money because of this risk. Let's put up this headline, Washington's 32 billion crypto scam. Yes, we are calling this thing a scam. That is the headline from the lever. And thanks to Andrew and all the other co-authors of this article. In April, when cryptocurrency guru and Democratic mega donor Sam Bankman-Fried described how crypto tokens work on a Bloomberg podcast, the host, the host remarked that it sounded a lot like being, quote, in the Ponzi business, end quote. Bankman-Fried, founder of the FTX, cryptocurrency exchange replied that this was quote a pretty reasonable response end quote with a depressing amount of validity. Can you believe that? I mean you having a conversation like that and they still let this go on. But let's go ahead and keep going on this. On Friday FTX which previously had 16 billion in customer assets and was valued at 32 billion in its most recent investor funding round in September filed for bankruptcy in Delaware. Bankman Free 30 resigned as its CEO. You think? 
The collapse underscores, underscores, let's underline it, let's bold it, let's put an exclamation point on it. The collapse underscores how the 849 billion crypto industry down by one fifth in the last week and from a high of 3 trillion a year ago has been protected. Let me just say that one more good time, protected by regulators who are asleep at the wheel while hapless ordinary investors suckered in with slick ads from prominent celebrities and athletes lose their savings. Again, this is coming from The Lever, thank you so much. Now, as The Lever pointed out in its reporting during a, during a crypto gathering that included world leaders, it included athletes, it included investors. But the political world leaders such as former President Bill Clinton and former British Prime Minister Tony Blair. During that conversation with Bankman Freed, Clinton suggested that regulators should adopt a do no harm approach to the industry. Yeah, and that statement reminded me a lot of the tenets of laissez-faire, you know, just let alone. That type of economic programming controlled the United States during the during the gilded age in this country, this lays out there, just let alone, just let government don't interfere, just let the market do whatever it does. And this approach certainly hurts the poorest, most vulnerable people in this country. That's what that statement reminded me of. And Bankman Free was able to buy his way into the political scene with all of this slickness. Bankman Freed began by bankrolling a super PAC called Protect Our Future that intervened in Democratic primaries while the group's 10 million ad blitz designed to crown a virtually unknown candidate, Carrick Flynn, in an Oregon primary failed. Its other spending was highly effective. So, in the lever, they're just kind of going through some of the campaigns that Bankman Freed helped to bankroll. Now, yours truly. I know a little bit about that because he did enter into the Ohio 11th race, bank helping to fund my competition. Yeah, let's go ahead and read this. Protect Our Futures spent a million to help reelect Chantel Brown, who was facing a competitive primary challenge from progressive freedom fighting kick ass opponent, Nina Turner. I had to put some Turnerism on that. Brown has key committee assignments. She sits on both the House Agriculture Committee, which oversees the Commodities Future Trading Commission, one of the primary regulators for the crypto industry, and the Oversight Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Policies, whose chair is investigating crypto. Now listen, folks, and leave that up. Don't let don't leave it up. See, when we say on Unbossed or any of the other shows on TYT, we seek to explain how you can connect dots to corruption. So you understand? So he jumps into this race, he funds this race and a whole bunch of other ones across the country, even some candidates that, you know, candidates that neoliberals are jumping up and down, and even I hate to say some so called progressive candidates, but you see the committee that Chantel Brown is on, the very committee that would if it was regulating the cryptocurrency industry would do just that. I want you to feel what I'm saying today. This is how this goes down. Jessica, I, you know, I'm just really shaking my head because they really, I mean, this, 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 this man had a worldwide audience. He was lauded as a genius. He was brilliant in economic affairs. And boom, up in, in, in another one bites the dust. 
And the people who are going to hurt the most are those just everyday regular smaller investor types who thought they were getting in on something big, but here we are. Yeah, that's exactly right. People who invested in crypto were sold this dream that if you invest in crypto, you can get rich really quick. You're told, oh, this is really gonna blow up. This coin is gonna be worth like 10 times as much as it is as it is now. All that happens is very wealthy people invest in these coins. They get their value from investment. So the more people buying in, leads to the coin having increased value. These are not regulated by the FDIC or any other banking regulation for that matter. And we saw with the stable coins, they're supposed to mimic the dollar and have a one-to-one trading value with the dollar because crypto is so volatile and people want to pull out their money so quickly. Crypto is not some alternative to the dollar. It's not some get rich quick scheme. In fact, the people that invest in crypto are the ones who end up losing money, the ones who couldn't afford to invest because when the people who have millions pull out, the coins value tanks, they lose their money. And stablecoin did not keep their one-to-one trading value with the dollar. So many people lost their money on this. And it's not like it was a type of situation where people weren't warning those using crypto about it because you had Rowan Gray and Rashida Tlaib introduce the Stablecoin Act two years before that crash happened. And so the crypto lobby is all too powerful in Washington. That's why we're in the situation we're in now. Yep, just go ahead and buy your politicians. That is what happens and that's what people like Bankman Fried do they find they seek out people who are either in elected office or who are running and who will be kind to them, i.e., not want any regulations, not hold them accountable, and that's who they support. They even he even donated a sizable amount to the president's campaign as well. I think Crystal and Kyle summed this thing up quite nicely. Let's roll the tape. He he. This guy was a billionaire, and in the course of a day, now he's not only is he broke. He like owes hundreds of millions of dollars. That's right. Insane stories. What we're talking about here. Total collapse. One of the greatest, like most instantaneous collapses of a fortune that we've maybe seen in human history. So it's like, it's kind of like a Ponzi scheme. Uh, It's colossal fraud. Uh, Now overnight, this guy's considered more like a Bernie Madoff character than like a genius billionaire tech bro. Colossal fraud and laying in the wake, just like with Bernie Madoff. A lot of folks lost a lot of money and many of those folks could not afford to lose that money. But here we are, Iranians continue to protest. So you know I'm always telling you to keep the faith. I say that and I believe in that so much. I also say keep the fight, faith without fight, the two things go together. That's exactly what the people of Iran are doing right now, watch this. Anti-government protests in Iran enter their eighth week and show no signs of slowing down. So far, more than 300 people have been killed and nearly 15,000 arrested according to a human rights organization in Iran. The country's parliament also voted to institute the death penalty for people who were arrested. These demonstrations in Iran were sparked by the death of 22-year-old Masha Amini, killed in the custody of the country's morality police after refusing to wear a hijab in public. Now this is beyond sad. Uh, Here's some details on what and who the morality police are. 
The morality police is a unit of Iran's police forces tasked with enforcing the laws on Islamic dress code in public. According to the regulation, all women above the age of puberty must wear a head covering and loose clothing in public, although the exact age is not clearly defined. Now, a major part of Iran's social regulation is based on the state's interpretation of Islamic Sharia, Sharia law, which requires both men and women to dress modestly. However, in practice, the morality police primarily target women. So just plain and simple, it's a violation of human rights. And it is evil, because any violation of human rights is wrong. And if it's immoral, then it must be evil. And this is happening. Under tyranny, that is happening right now in this country. And so these protesters have reached 58 days despite the growing death. I mean, they mean this. They are literally putting their bodies on the line in this fight. Iranians have kept up their protests despite the deadly dangers, which now include the risk of execution following a vote by 227 of Iran's 290 members of parliament in favor of imposing the death penalty on demonstrators in order to teach them, quote, a hard lesson. Now, it doesn't get more harder than the threat of losing your life. That is a hard lesson. On Saturday, the Norway-based Iran Human Rights NGO said security forces have killed at least 326 people, including 25 women and 43 children. Check out this horrific tweet. There it is. Iran parliament votes overwhelmingly to execute over 14,000 arrested protesters. The global response starting with the G20 must be severe and immediate. Thank you, Ian, I totally agree with you. Must be severe and it must be immediate. We can't play with this, Jessica. Yeah, the right to protest is under attack all around the world. What's going on in Iran is terrible. It's it's an attack on freedom, it's an attack on women's rights. Just the right to dress how you want, I think is a basic human right. So what's going on here is just absolutely disgusting. And I think there's a, also a problem that the United States likes to talk about these issues as if nothing like this would ever happen in the United States. And we have to be very clear that any US involvement in Iran right now in this situation, you always have to make the calculation, would that make matters worse or better? And it's my understanding that it would make it worse. But we can stand in solidarity with the protesters there because similar things happen in the United States. I mean, what's going on in Iran is their leaders are being mysteriously killed mysteriously arrested under circumstances where you have the police there telling people to record you know, lesions on people, people who are attacked, where there's evidence of rape to record that they were in that state before they went into custody. I mean, it's just disgusting. But we also had during the Black Lives Matter uprising after George Floyd, a lot of the leaders of that movement mysteriously dying as well and press in the United States not covering that. So as people who want to protest, who want to have basic human rights observed, we can be in solidarity with them without telling our State Department to go and intervene and make matters worse. Definitely in solidarity and thank you for bringing up that most recent in our old enough to remember time. We can go back to the 20th century where our government did the same kind of stuff. 
um, and even local and state governments participated as well. And that mainly happened during the civil rights movement when you had the FBI bugging uh, the rooms and the places of people like Minister Malcolm X and Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and other leaders. It was not just them infiltrating their organizations, causing chaos. You know what they did to the Black Panthers and Fred Hampton, one very important example, the move group that was in Philadelphia, same thing. So you're absolutely right, Jessica. We, this country, got to clean up our own mess before we start thumbing our noses in somebody else's. But that solidarity, that everyday ordinary people solidarity is so vitally important. And the people, the women of Iran have remained steadfast, not allowing uh, not allowing hate to win. Let's watch this. Now, women cutting their hair in solidarity is a really big deal. And just in case you did not see the tweet that we posted a little earlier, these folks, this is not you might be killed. It's almost definitely that you can be killed. Iran parliament votes overwhelmingly to execute 14,000 arrested protesters. People in Iran are putting their very lives on the line and they know it going in. It's not just I might, they know it going in. And so as Jessica laid out, we're laying out right now that we must continue to stand in solidarity with these brave people, be they men or be they, they women. This is an atrocity, an absolute disgrace on the world stage. And yes, the G20, as Ian pointed out, must come in there and act swiftly. Let's put up this next headline as Iran throttles its internet activists fight to get online. Activists in Iran are working with outsiders to fight the regime's censorship. You always need somebody on the outside who's gonna be an ally, and that is what they need. But those brave Iranians who are standing up to this oppressive government, they are shining a light. They are also a beacon of light for others who fight against this kind of tyranny all over the world. With the national discourse on our own democracy being so prevalent, we must recognize that we are not alone. We're not, and we want them to know that they're not alone either. The Biden administration has addressed this to some extent with some sanctions. Biden administration imposes sanctions on Iranian officials over brutal crackdown on protests. The move comes as the US face, face, face appeals from Iranian expartates to take a more assertive stance against the regime and to call off nuclear negotiations. So glad that they are taking some positions. Again, the G20, get in there, get in there right now. Uh, the sanctions targeted revolutionary guard commanders and intelligence officials helping to orchestrate efforts to crush the protests. Prison officials accused of torture and other abuses of political prisoners. Regional governors overseeing violent crackdowns on peaceful protests, as well as organizations involved in censorship and surveillance of the Iranian people, according to the Departments of Treasury and State. 
As these protests continue, here are some organizations who are leading their causes to fight. Be sure to check them out. We have the Iranian American Women Foundation, United for Iran, Women's Committee of the National Council of Resistance. Please, oh please, let's stand in solidarity. Support these organizations as they support our sisters and brothers and our family and friends in Iran. And continue to spread the word on social media. If you are on social media, use each and every one of your social media platforms to get involved, to be engaged. They need our help. Jessica. Yeah, just to point out that 14,000 people being killed by morality police for not dressing modestly. Any kind of definition of morality that puts above people dressing how they want to dress and and saying killing them is the reasonable and moral solution is absolutely insane. It's an interesting time with the state of social media where this is happening because now wherever we have atrocities like this happen around the world, it's a global phenomenon. And of course, it's a huge problem that in Iran they're taking away people's access to internet and Wi-Fi. But so much of the, the social movements around the world have happened on TikTok recently, where I remember during the Black Lives Matter uprising, we had the French who are great at protesting, telling us how to deal with tear gas and giving us advice about what to do if we're pepper sprayed and things like that. And with what's going on in Iran, they've been able to get messages out to people through TikTok on the internet and tell us what's happening there on the ground, things that the media and journalists can't get access to. So it's it's sad that they've taken away their one way to communicate with the rest of the world and we're still getting bits and pieces there. But in the age of the internet, these things play out a bit differently. And now we know about what's going on. Yeah, they do. Social media can be used as a very powerful tool for good. It can also be manipulated and used for bad, but in this case being used for good. We will be right back. And welcome back to the show. So glad that you are still here. Phone a friend or text a friend. Tell them to come on and join Jessica and myself. You don't want to miss Unbossed. Now, to my absolute favorite part of the show, Jessica, I say this every single show because it is the best part. And that is hearing from our viewers, our supporters. So we got our TYT member, Mountain Dragon, says, Nina! Exclamation points. Welcome back. Every time I hear the intro music to your show, it brings a fire and warmth to my soul. Much love from Colorado to you two wonderful women. Now you, Mountain Dragon, Jessica and I, was we were bopping to it too, and we do that every time. I, I feel it as well. It's, it's some strong, it's some strong intro music. It's, it's very good. And bringing some warmth from Colorado. How you know I need that warmth <laughs> in Cleveland, Ohio right now? Thank you, I receive it. On Twitch, Rosa says, ooh, I love that outfit, Senator Turner. Ooh, thank you, Rosa. I try to do my thing. Too bad it's only, you know, I wish it was, I might stand up one of these days. But yeah, I'm rocking this blouse, baby. Yes, I am, or it's rocking me, one of the two. But thank you, Rosa. We can always pause for a fashion moment, baby, always. And on YouTube, Robin says, love you, Nina. Nina, 2024 for president. Robin, don't you start nothing. Don't start none, <laughs> won't be none, baby. But I love you, thank you so much for that. It just warms my heart to hear that all over the country. When I was in Chicago, I heard that too. Same with Marianne is just feeling that kind of love because you know just because they're not just saying that to everybody. So I, I I am gonna count myself in a special group, you know. 
I'm, I'm feeling that love. Now do not forget, do not forget Brittany Griner, her family. She needs our love and our support, whatever we can do. Now I might not as individuals, you might not be able to do a whole lot. But together, we can do that hashtag. We are BG, that's what the family's asking for. If you praying folks, send some prayers. If you meditate, whatever you do, the good vibes, send them all to Brittany and her family. And there are forces, including this government, our government, but our other outside forces working to still try to bring her home. So we're not gonna give up the fight on that. And do not forget Jackson, Mississippi. Don't forget, you know, we 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 forget stuff too quickly. We roll on to the next thing real fast. Dirty water is real, not just in Jackson, Mississippi, but in far too many places across this country. But for Jackson, Mississippi, you can join us at tyttyt.com slash relief. That is tyt.com slash relief. Get involved, $2, $5, or go that cup of coffee and go ahead and make that donation, would you? Did you do that for us? We appreciate you. Here we go, Carrie Lake supporters, watch this. On earth as it is in heaven, give us a stay. I want all of you to say a prayer right now. We the people are requesting military step in and redo our election. It was fake and false. It's full of, our government is full of corrupt people. This is a mob Somebody knows what Yep, those are Carrie Lake supporters. I don't really get that, Jessica. So the government is full of corrupt people, but you want the military to step in. Now we live in the United States of America, so the military is not stepping in without orders from the executive. That's not gonna happen, but this is, these folks wanna go full out, just full out, Let's let the military go on and step in. The government is corrupt and things are not going their way, but why? Because maybe the votes are not going their way, so all of a sudden the elections are problematic. So what you just watched was a group of Cary Lake supporters marching outside Maricopa Ballot Center. Uh, they were demanding for military intervention, as I was just riffing about, because things are not looking too good for uh, Miss Carrie Lake here. The race is still too close to call. Let's put up this headline: Arizona Governor Election Results 2022. As you can see, very close. Uh, Katie Hobbs has a one percent lead over her election denying opponent. Carrie Lake is doing exactly what Republicans do best: lying and spreading election disinformation. Because when it doesn't go their way, they they spread disinformation. Take a look at this Josh Hawley tweet, who claims Republicans are due for something new. The old party is dead. Time to bury it. Build something new. Yeah, that's what he said. Republicans are at a crossroads right now. They are at a weak point. Republican Party is at a very weak point right now. Going even further, Dave Chappelle gave a monologue last on Saturday night on SNL where he talked about something very important. Trump is adored by his followers. Here's what Chappelle had to say. Donald Trump is an honest liar. That first debate I've never seen a white male billionaire screaming at the top of his lungs. This whole system is rigged. And across the stage was Hillary Clinton looking at him like, no, it's not. I said, now wait a minute, bro. It's what it's what he said. That's coming from Dave Chappelle during a skit on SNL. The moderator said, What is your evidence? Trump said, I know the system's rigged because I use it. Damn. And Hillary Clinton tried to punch him in the taxes. She said, this man doesn't pay his taxes. He shot right back. 
that makes me smart. And then he said, if you want me to pay my taxes, then change the tax code. But I know you want because your friends and your donors enjoy the same tax breaks that I do. And with that, my friends, a star was born. I mean, David Chappelle is going right at this thing. One more point made by David. No one has ever seen anyone come from inside the house and tell all the commoners we are doing everything that you think we are doing inside the house. And then he went right back inside and started playing the game again. Damn is right. David Chappelle laid that out. Remember when President Donald Trump said he wanted to drain the swamp? But he neglected to say that he was the leader of the swamp that he was trying to drain. And so while he was pointing fingers, trying to drain the swamp, he, he was orchestrating the whole swamp scene. That is really what David Chappelle is laying out. You also may recall, I'm old enough to recall when Trump laid it down, when folks were talking about corruption. You know, My grandmother said even a broke clock could be right twice a day. He made it very clear that he could buy and sell, that he has bought and sold many of the politicians that were bumping up against him. And Jessica, that is the systemic, that is what people in this system, see they don't want somebody like him, as David Chappelle say, he come out and tell all the secrets and then he just goes back rolling back with the same system. But just because we abhor his policies and the way he misled this country does not mean from time to time, especially when he was talking about the corruptness of the system that he was not right. He was right and he's the ring leader of it. Absolutely, Donald Trump ran as a populist, an economic populist at times, but then governed as an elitist. It was business as usual. And the thing he did was he fomented so much anger within his base because they know that the system's corrupt. They know it doesn't work for them. But our public education in the United States isn't great and that's all intentional. So people don't realize the economic system is rigged against them. There's no good reason. We don't teach basic economics in K through 12. And the bad reason that we have is they want to keep people ignorant of how the economic system is rigged against them. The problem is Trump didn't get into office and do anything to fix how the system is rigged. And these people are still very angry and they still think he has their best interests in mind. And that's why you see them rallying in anger when people that are aligned with Donald Trump are losing today. I still think there are people who are bamboozled by this guy of Trump and just wanna watch the world burn. Thankfully, we finally got a Democrat in the role of Secretary of State in Arizona, because the person that was in that role before the Republican rival they ran against was at January 6 and denied that the election was valid in 2020. Thankfully, there's a Democrat in that seat now, and hopefully we'll see that make big change with how these claims of election fraud are handled in Arizona. Yeah, thank goodness for that. And the Republicans definitely have stoked that. Mr. Trump stoked that a lot about so-called election fraud. The Brennan Center says you got a greater likelihood of being struck by lightning than somebody participating in election fraud. But it doesn't matter, the facts do not matter. This is sheer emotion. This man has a spell over these people. And it's really easy to talk trash about mega voters, it's easy. But what are Democrats going to do to take advantage of this moment? The moment, this infighting within the Republican Party. And how are they going to use this to appeal to more working class families of all backgrounds, all walks of life? That is what this moment really calls for, some real action on the part of the Democrats so we can get 
these folks back, especially the ones that we can get back. I know some of them are too far gone, but I don't believe all of them are. WTF neoliberals, it's that time again. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema, no. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. I never tire of that. Yeah, that really happened. We're not making that up. Just kind of, I love that too, just as much as the, it's the opening of the show. Democrats control the Senate, but that doesn't mean it is over. Some Democrats are saying, forget about Georgia, which makes me WTF neoliberals. Now I'm serious about this, and I am going to do my level best. Let me have a woosah moment. I'm a woosah right here, right now. Because I am going to try to keep my cool and remember that this is a PG show. And as one of my friends reminds me, Professor Turner, Professor Turner. And the reason why I got to settle myself, Jessica, right now, because any mofo that would say we don't need Georgia just because the Democrats have a slim majority is pretty much a damn insult. To not only the people of Georgia, but to Reverend Warnock, Senator Warnock, who is the current senator. You know, it just it boggles the mind how some of these folks, they just write him off. And you know why they're doing it, Jessica? Because any old Democrat will do. They don't care. And the neoliberals out there saying it, we don't need Georgia because we won. Just kind of forget Reverend Warnock now. Let's put up this tweet. It's since been deleted because hellfire rained down. Woosa, I'm trying to be calm. You got Kyle Griffin. And you know, I usually retreat this brother, in all honesty. I do from time to time. Democrats don't even need Georgia. What? Yeah, he tweeted that. It's gone now, but he did. What the hell, Kyle? And I want to say some other choice words, but Professor Turner, I'm trying to channel her. It's the kind of talk that's dangerous. Plus, it's a shame. That the race between Senator Warnock and Mr. Walker has even gone to a runoff. Maybe it wouldn't be in a runoff if neoliberals had spent more time worrying about his race that we knew was coming up. Then they were bunking around with freedom fighting progressives like myself and others. Oh Yeah, maybe we wouldn't be in this position in Georgia if they hadn't spent all that money propping up the worst Republicans in their primaries so that neoliberals in their mind would have a better chance of winning in the general election. Yeah, folks, you heard it. You're gonna hear me say it over and over again. These fools spent millions of dollars propping up the worst GOP candidates in their primaries so that their neoliberal chosen candidate could go into the general and so-called have an easier time winning the race. They tried that mess. Jessica in 2016 and it didn't go so well. But they didn't learn that lesson. And now they want to write off Senator Warnock. 
And we had great candidates. There were three black men with progressive messages in the South that were not centered by the Democratic Party. Chris Jones for governor in Arkansas. Now we have Sarah Huckabee Sanders. We had Gary Chambers running in Louisiana and we had Charles Booker running in Kentucky. These were great candidates that for all intents and purposes, the media didn't give proper attention to and neither did the Democratic Party. And the problem with this take that Georgia doesn't matter is two senators that are counted as Democratic senators are Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. And you're gonna keep saying, you know, the Leo neoliberals, not you, Senator Turner, they're going to keep saying that the reason we can't get stuff done is oh man, it's Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. That's why Raphael Warnock's seat matters. Because we have two people that are technically Democrats that will never vote for progress. That's it. And it matters because it matters to the people of Georgia. I mean, you're just gonna write this man off like that? Really? And then don't let me, because I don't talk about identity just for the sake of identity, because neoliberals play games with identity. But I'm gonna add this to it. This black senator, y'all just writing him off because the Democrats all of a sudden got a majority. Wrap your mind around that. Black folks delivered in Georgia in 2020, and now all of a sudden you don't give a damn. Whether or not they senator makes it back. See, that's what white neoliberals do. That's what they do. They got the luxury to, to just kind of play over there like that. It's wrong. And you know, Democrats spent tens of millions amplifying the far right candidates in nine states. Let's put up this headline. This is what I'm ranting and raving about. The practice by some campaigns and outside groups this year has divided Democrats with some in the party complaining that such tactics are risky and could result in the election of candidates who pose serious threats to democracy. What is, I mean, this. But this is what they did with your money. For those of you who donate to Democrat, not individual candidates, but you, you, you donate to these big committees, this is what they did with your money. Propped up the worst of the worst instead of having they behind over there in Georgia and planning. Because you know what, Jessica, it's not like we didn't know that Reverend Warnock had a reelection coming up in 2022. We knew that from the time he was elected that 2022 was coming. They didn't protect the flank. And let's look at this next one, shall we? Put the other headline up. New dark money group spending against progressives is especially well aligned with powerful Democrats. Opportunity for All Action Fund has spent more than $500,000 in four primaries to support conservative House Democrats. See, it's amazing to me how they get a spine when it comes to fighting against progressives. That's when they get a spine. But to fight against Republicans, they don't have one. You know what? Because the corporatists in both parties are in cahoots. They go to the same dinner parties. Hell, they kids go to the same schools. Don't let them fool you. This is what this is about. They say they don't care what Democrat gets in. The slap in the face to Georgia, and it's a slap in the face to the African American community as well. It is. So here we go. Remember when Chuck Schumer said this to the president? Watch it. Yeah, he was telling the president, we going down. We are going down. Well, Senator, Dems should have spent more money on protecting Reverend Warnock, Senator Warnock's flank. 
They should have not dipped their nose into Democratic primaries so the people would have real freedom fighters serving their interests. But instead, they attacked progressives and left Reverend Warnock out there by himself. And shame on pundits like Kyle Griffin. Kyle, okay, you need to redeem yourself on this one for saying that we don't need Georgia, we need Georgia. Check out this Twitter thread quickly. I feel like I'm a broken record, but white liberals have got to see the black voters who are the base of the Democratic Party. Tweeting Democrats don't even need Georgia is actually racially offensive. You're saying the election of the first black Democratic senator from Georgia, that's exactly what they're saying. Deep South in American history, a senator who provides essential representation for all of his constituents, but perhaps especially for the black Americans in the South, including the rural South, who are too often underrepresented in the Senate, is unimportant. Come on, David, break it down for him. White liberals who say things like this reflect on a check your privilege. Let's underline it, let's underscore it. This shouldn't have to constantly be said. In other words, we tired of teaching y'all asses the same damn lesson every damn generation. We over it right now. It's amazing how little some white liberals have learned over time, even from 2020. Enough is enough. These are the same white liberals, but just in a different century that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. warned us about. They the same white liberals that Minister Malcolm X warned us about. This cavalier attitude, any Democrat will do. And not taking into consideration how important Reverend Warnock is to the dimensions of the Senate, period, dot, exclamation point and bold it. We sick of y'all white liberals playing games all the damn time y'all do it. I mean, Jessica, the professor is going out the door. We got to take a break. I got to cool off. I'll be back. I tried. I did my best. I'm back. We are back. I'm still hot. Jessica, now after we read these viewer comments, we're going right back in. I'm still, it's just some things that you just can't let go. And I just cannot let this one go. But for a minute, let's go to what the viewers had to say. On TYT members, Boomer Dragon Cat says, Nina, there's just something about the quality of tone in your voice. You are lovely and brilliant. Oh, Boomer Dragon Cat, thank you so much. I receive all of that and I appreciate you so very much. On Twitch, We Are Bane says, I love Nina's passion for speaking the truth. Amen to that. Some folks don't love it, Bane, but I'm glad that you do. And on YouTube, Super Chat, Michael and says, Nina unbossed and unbought. You better believe that. In the very tradition of Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm, you got that right. That's why that that's why they had to come on on on, on Sister Turner the way that they did in both of my elections. Jessica, we were saying something in the break that I think it is vitally important that we revisit, which is how and why Reverend Warnock is Senator Warnock right now. Yeah, in 2020, the, this was a runoff race again for both Ossoff and Warnock C. I moved to Georgia and it was insane how many people threw their entire lives into getting Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff their Senate seats. Raphael Warnock being the first black senator from Georgia, Ossoff being the youngest senator. These were really important seats to get and everyone 
uh, Black Voters Matter, groups that were doing community organizing, turned their efforts to the election cycle, worked so hard and allowed them to run on this message. $2,000 checks out the door if they get an office. We're actually gonna get something materially done to make working people's lives better. And what happened the moment they got in? They said, well, we got what we wanted, we got the majority. It took months and a lot of convincing and a lot of direct action, a lot of phone calls to get $1,400 checks. And so they completely played these guys by allowing them to go into their communities and say, we promise this is happening and then have this be the result. And it was at the height of the pandemic too. Let us not forget that a lot of folks at that time just did not have the luxury to wait. And they really made liars out of both candidates that won the seats, Ossoff and, and, and Warnock. They really made liars out of them because they absolutely did not deliver on that at a time of immense crisis. And we find ourselves again because those two seats were vitally important to them gaining the majority, notwithstanding cinema and mansion and some of them other people, Jessica, that's hiding behind cinema and mansion. But then to fast forward to this 2022 and to have some neoliberals that just have a cavalier attitude. You know, part of the problem, Jessica, is that a lot of folks in the media, a lot of these pundits, whether it's social media or whether it's mainstream media, they do not have a working class consciousness. That's part of the problem. Because if you had a working class consciousness coupled with consciousness about race, caste and class, then you would not make the Cavalier statements that not just that Kyle has made, other folks are making those comments as well because it's a zero sum game for them. For some of these folks, it really doesn't matter, Jessica, who, who's there or not. Just any old Democrat will do or not, because in the case, let's check the boxes. We got what we wanted. So whether Warnock wins or not, oh, it's no bother to us. Yeah, it's just so disgusting. And the complicating factor is he could have won by a landslide if those $2,000 checks went out the door right when they said they would, when they got into the office, when they got into office and went into the Senate. If that was the first thing that they voted on and they got it done, Warnock could have been much more popular. Perhaps voters wouldn't have been disillusioned. You know, we all were told to go out and vote for Raphael Warnock, then he got into office and the promise didn't come through. If it did right away, those people could have turned out again against Herschel Walker and voted for Raphael Warnock again. Like the Democratic Party is very responsible for making working people not show up and vote. And they always want to blame progressives for splitting the vote and sowing this kind of detestment for any kind of politician that doesn't work for them. But it's valid. If Democrats just delivered policies that benefited working people and dismantled systems of oppression, they wouldn't have to struggle for votes. We wouldn't be in a runoff situation right now. That's right, increasing the minimum wage, how about that? They blamed that on a parliamentarian, an unelected parliamentarian did not get that done. The George Floyd Policing Act did not get that done. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act did not get that done. Did something tremendous, which is to pass a child tax credit only to let it expire and not be able to renew it. Yeah, folks need some material things changing in their lives. They sick and tired of being lied to. And Jessica, a lot of the organizations that really pushed to help get both of those senators elected, they questioned whether or not in 2022 they were going to be able to do it again because of the fact 
that the Democrats did not deliver material change. Let that sink in while we go to this next story. Election updates, now we got some good news now. This is gonna bring me, you know, a little more. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come, I'm coming down just a little bit, not too much, but just a little bit. But there's some good news to report in our election updates. Let's look deeper at the state of the states. So David Pepper, he is the former chairman of the Ohio Democratic Party. I serve right by his side, and author of a book, Laboratories of, uh, Laboratories of. Excuse me, uh, Laboratories of Autocracy has been on the grind reminding us all about the important state level government and how important those governments are to creating a more perfect union all around this country. Here we go, let's put it up. To recap all the pro-democracy wins from Tuesday, state houses flip Michigan House, flip Michigan Senate, flip Minnesota Senate, flip Pennsylvania House, held all majorities, waiting on Arizona. Preserve veto in Wisconsin and North Carolina. That's coming from none other but David Pepper. We're gonna keep on reading his thread in the governors. Held Michigan, Kansas, Oregon, Pennsylvania, and more. We flipped Maryland. Yes, we did. Go ahead on, Governor-elect Westmore, with your bad self and mass. He goes on further. Election deniers kept from running elections in Michigan, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania. And then his next thread in this thread, US Senate, check. We hope that's gonna mean something for the people. And the US House, we praying. We hoping and praying that we will. Yeah, we're hoping that happens. And let's go right straight to Dr. Robert Rice, who's in the house too, letting us know what's good. Fetterman flip Pennsylvania's. Pennsylvania with a pro worker platform. Nebraska raised the minimum wage. Four states banned forced prison labor. DC abolished the sub minimum tipped wage. Do not forget our sisters and brothers and family and friends who receive tip wages are only making $2 and some change in most states. Shout out to Fair Wage. Illinois guaranteed the right to collective bargaining. Hello, Illinois. The midterms were huge for pro workers. That's coming from Dr. Robert Reich. Many of you may recall, may remember that he was labor secretary under President Bill Clinton. And another reminder that Dr. Robert Reich gave us about the importance of the vote of younger adults. How important their votes were this midterm cycle. 61% of younger voters or 61% of voters younger than 45 back John Fetterman in Michigan, the early youth vote was up 207% from 2018. In Pennsylvania, up 318%. In Wisconsin, up 360%. The aspect of the midterms that gives me most hope for our future is the growing ranks of young people in our politics. Dr. Robert Reich goes on to illustrate how and why the younger voters of this country tilted the scale all over the country. He writes, the aspect of the midterm elections that gives me most hope for the future is the growing ranks of young of the young, as well as people of color and women among American voters and in American politics. He goes on to point out that the reason that the GOP is pulling out all the stops to try to stop people from voting, from making it harder for them to vote is because they know that by 2028, millennials and Gen Z's will dominate the US elections. And this is what the good doctor said, they are the party, they are the Republican Party's worst nightmare, they being 
millennials and Gen Z. Y'all better go on with your bad self. And the latest data, let's put it up. 27% of young people ages 18 to 29 turned out the second highest youth voter turnout in almost three decades. The aggregate youth voter turnout was 31%. The latest data continues, this age demographic helped decide races in nine competitive states. And there they go, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, New Hampshire, Nevada, Ohio, OHIO, even though that damn JD Vance won. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, I don't know, I should have just kept it good news. Jessica. This is good news. It turns out progressive policies and helping working people are very popular things. And I would love to see the Democratic Party make these things central to their platform. And if we can learn anything from this election, it's that where that is centered, we will win, whether it's a candidate or a ballot initiative. There it is. When we center younger people, people of color, working people of all backgrounds. We will get these kinds of results. Yes, we will. Let's do that. Oh, our backbone today. One of the bones today is the backbone. The wishbone will keep you holding and praying. The jawbone will give you courage to speak truth to power. The backbone will keep you standing through your trials and tribulations. Yeah. We are we are highlighting the backbone today with none other Reverend Jesse Jackson. And Reverend Jackson certainly was a trailblazer. He set the foundation just as Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm did in the 70s. Reverend Jesse Jackson set the foundation. He ran for president twice. He brought together a coalition of working people from all backgrounds, that rainbow coalition. Reverend Jesse Jackson absolutely did that. He pushed the Democratic Party further to the progressive left. He helped to blaze a trail for the first African American president. And that would be none other than President Barack Obama in the same way. Let me not, let us not forget Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm cuz she did that thing, bringing together a coalition of folks in the 70s. And you got Reverend Jackson doing it in the 80s. This multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-generational coalition. He also brought our Arab sisters and brothers and family and friends closer to the fold in presidential elections. I'm thinking of none other than Dr. Jim Zogby, a mentor of mine who talks very fondly of Reverend and how his campaign crystallized and helped America see our Arab American sisters and brothers and family and friends in a better light because the Reverend Jesse Jackson embraced them. That was not done in presidential campaigns before the Reverend did that. Yes, he did. He boldly reminded us to keep hope alive, understanding very clearly that hope is a motivator, as my grandmother would say. As human beings, if we ever lose hope, we cease to exist. We will cease to continue to fight. Hope is not frivolous, it is the very ingredient needed to give us the capacity to fight on. Because if we can't hope for better, we lose all of our ability, all of our energy, all of our synergy to keep on keeping on. So the quote of the day from the great Reverend Jesse Jackson is this, leadership cannot just go along to get along. Leadership must meet the moral 
challenge of the day. Hello, somebody on that. But the Reverend is saying, don't worry about being invited to the Christmas party. You might not get invited to the Christmas party. You might not get invited to the White House. Folks might not want you around them because you are pointing out what is the most imperative and important thing. So they might have to unfriend you because you are standing up in your truth. Leadership pushes the moral agenda. And I'm not just talking about elected leadership. Everybody can play a role as a leader. I'm talking about folks who are willing to put a little extra on their ordinary so that extraordinary things can happen. We all have a role and a responsibility to do just that. And I hope that you will join me and so many others in doing just that. Well, that is our time for today. So excited to have Jessica with me on this journey. If it is Monday, it is Jessica Day. Yes, she did that thing for me last week. I want to thank her again. She is right here by my side. Well, on my side, <laughs> virtually. <laughs> on my side, by my side, virtually on this <laughs> Monday. So glad to have her. And you know what I want all of you to do? I want you to keep the faith. But more importantly, I want you to keep the fight. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Idarola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.